Welcome, everybody. It is so good to see you in God's house. We're glad that you're all here. Welcome to all of our locations that are tuning in, our online and television audience. We're glad you're with us as well. If you need a Bible, would you raise your hand? The ushers will get you one. If you have your Bible, would you kindly take it out? Let's all go ahead and hold it up and make our declaration of faith. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen and amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to First uh, Samuel chapter number 2, 1 Samuel chapter number 2, if you have your Bible. Um, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen here in just a moment. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 9. The scripture says, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, um, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So came the pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Today we are continuing in our prayer series called Great Prayers of the Bible. And I want to talk to you from the subject pushed to pray. Sometimes how many of you know we need to push into our prayer closet? So many times we can go through life and we forget to tap into this most powerful spiritual weapon. And thank God for those pushes into our prayer closet. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your anointing, for your word that speaks to every single heart. We thank you for the transformation it'll cause in our spirit and in our minds. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. For the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the subject of prayer. And among the many things that we have learned, we have seen that prayer 
paves the way for everything good that God wants to do in our lives. We said that prayer is earthly license for heavenly intervention. That God is waiting for us to call on him, to ask him to intervene in our circumstances. And he's happy to, he wants to. Matter of fact, the scripture says oftentimes he's looking for a person to stand in the gap and make up a hedge. And so God wants us to call on him. We looked at prayer, how it empowers us ordinary people to do extraordinary things. How it positions us for God's favor and man's favor. How it enables us to move through circumstances at God's speed, how it provides us with wisdom that we could not otherwise have attained, that it brings us solutions to big problems, that it's how we fight our battles, that it's how we drop bombs on the enemy. And prayer ensures that we win in battles because it brings God into active aid in our circumstances. And yet despite all of these wonderful things that we've looked at concerning prayer, the fact of the matter is sometimes we put it aside. Sometimes we don't pray. Sometimes we fall susceptible or succumb to the sinister scheme of Satan to make us prayerless in our lives. And many times, if we are honest, our lives are at best prayer deficient and at worst prayer non-existent. And we fail many times in our Christian walk to follow the words of Jesus where he said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, men ought always to pray. Furthermore, we seem to disregard the instructions of Jesus' pastoral brother James who said you have not because you ask not. Many times in our lives we fail to uh, fulfill this simple request that all of us can do, that anybody can do, and that is simply to pray. And it's because of that that oftentimes God needs to nudge us or push us into prayer. Prayer is such an important component of our Christian life. I was reading about some early African converts to Christianity. And as their story goes, um, these early converts believed in prayer so much that they all had their own personal place just outside of their village to pray. And they had these personal prayer paths where they would walk through the brush outside of the village and go to their place of prayer. And as time would go on, some of those prayer paths would get overgrown with grass. And whenever anybody would see a neighbor's prayer path overgrown with grass, they would go over to them and very politely remind them there is grass on your path. And so my question for you today as a believer, is there grass on your path? Are you praying? Are you seeking God? Are you going into his presence? Or are you forgetting about the importance of prayer? And so because God loves us so much that God will often push us into prayer. And God pushes us into prayer in so many different ways and even in terms of using the things that the enemy brings into our lives to push us to pray. Have you ever been going through a time in your life about your merry way, forgetting about God, not praying because life is good and all of a sudden a crisis comes along or a conflict comes along or a conundrum comes along or there's a problem or a person or a pestering situation or maybe it's a trial or a test or maybe it's a storm or maybe it's a sudden turn of events or a sickness or a need or a want or too much month at the end of the money or a mess you don't know how to fix and and, uh, these things show up in our lives and suddenly we find ourselves running back to God 
praying. And God loves us so much that even in the circumstances and situations of life that are not sent by him, but rather are sent to destroy our lives, God gives us that nudge to go back into prayer. God loves us so much that God refuses to allow us to stay in a prayerless condition because if we are in a prayerless condition, we wind up being in a powerless condition. And so he nudges us to pray. What a great way to, to look at your circumstances and situations as nudges to pray. People come up to you and say, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your circumstances. That's okay. I've been nudged to pray. I'm sorry to hear about what you're going through. That's okay. I've been nudged to pray. Thank God for those holy nudges. Enter in Hannah. Hannah is one of the Bible greats, and she prayed a life-changing prayer. As we come to our story, it's important to note that Israel has strayed away from God. Their spiritual condition is so bad that even the priests that are running the temple have sons who are in the temple degrading the things of God. And so God determines to raise up a prophet to call Israel back to him, the likes of which Israel has never seen. His name is Samuel, and not one word that he speaks will ever fall to the ground without being fulfilled. This is the same Samuel that anoints David to be king in the place of Saul. He was a powerful prophet. He was going to be a world changer. And God determined that he would raise up this kind of prophet to bring his people back to him. However, he needs somebody to lend them their womb. And so Hannah's story and Samuel's story is even a foreshadow of the greatest story that has ever been told and lived, and that is the birth of Jesus where God decides to use the womb of a woman to enter into the world to save us from our sin. And he does that very much so as a foreshadow in the life of Hannah, but he has to allow Hannah to get to the place where she is willing to give God her womb so that God can perform his purpose for the earth and for his people. And so here is Hannah. She's married to a man who dearly loves her. His name is Elkanah. He treasures her. He dotes on her. He will move heaven and earth for her. But she cannot provide him with children for she's barren. And in that culture, anyone who could not bear children was thought to be cursed by God. And in fact, if you read the story of Samuel, you find out that is exactly the way the story reads, that God closed the womb of Hannah because that's what the culture believed. Moreover, it was therefore culturally acceptable for a man who married a barren woman as his wife to marry another woman so that he could have kids. And so Hannah's husband, although he loves her dearly, he marries another woman named Penina. I call her Penny for short because every time I think of her real name, I think of a Panini sandwich. Penny for short. And Penny, she pops out babies like it's nothing. I mean, you wink at her and she gets pregnant. She is a, she is a baby factory. And of course, this makes Hannah feel really, really bad. She feels less than. She is culturally stigmatized because of this. And Penny, who keeps popping out these babies, is constantly making her aware of her shortcoming and throwing it up in her face. And I, I just want to pause for a minute and encourage some who might feel like you're less than, who might feel like, you know what, you don't have what it takes, who has been culturally or in your particular area uh, stigmatized as something who's not capable. And a lot of times we can feel like we're undeserving and all of that kind of stuff. Can I tell you that you may be chosen by God? 
Oftentimes how we see ourselves is not how God sees us. God sees way differently than the way that we see ourselves. He sees past our tattered exterior. He sees past our barrenness and brokenness, past our cover-ups. He sees past our hurts and our pain, and he sees past what other people think of us and beyond how society has labeled us. Sometimes even when we don't see the good in us, God has selected us for purpose. And this is a consistent theme throughout all of scripture. When everybody saw a shepherd boy, God saw a king. When everybody saw a murderer in Saul, God saw the greatest of all the apostles who would write two-thirds of the New Testament. When Abraham was a sun and moon worshiper, God saw the father of our faith. When everybody looked at Mary as somebody who was a lowly servant girl, God saw the one who would bring the Savior into the world. When God looked and everybody looked at Esther, they saw an orphan slave girl, but God saw somebody who would be a queen and save his people. Oftentimes when we look down on ourselves, God has selected us and chosen us, and part of the reason why we are struggling to see ourselves for who God has intended us to be is because there is a divine mandate and purpose over our life. And that is the case with Hannah. Hannah has this great purpose. But I want you to notice what pushes her to a place of prayer. It is her pain. She realizes she can't have children. Penny realized even that Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved her. Penny realizes that Elkanah wanted her to be the one that bore his children. But Hannah is feeling abandoned. She's feeling forgotten. She is weeping all of the time. She is distressed. She's miserable to be around. She can't eat. And it is in this pain that she get, gets pushed to prayer so that God can use her for the purpose for which he has designed. There is her pain, and then there is God's plot. And oftentimes, our pain and God's plot are somewhere intertwined because the enemy is causing things in our lives because God has a great plan for our lives. And it is this pain that has been sent to crush her and has been sent to kill her and has been sent to marginalize her that have eventually pushes her to this place where God gives her the oomph to pray. How many times has that happened for us? We forgot about prayer. We didn't remember prayer. We went about our merry little way and something happened and we went to God in prayer. Most of us, when we think about pain, we don't see anything redeeming in it. We see it as something that is no good, that is evil, that is unnecessary, that is unfair, that is unjust, that is unwarranted, that is unmerited. And make no mistake about it, pain can be all of those things. But I want you to notice what the text says, verse number 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. It was her pain that got her to pray. I love this about God, that the enemy sends all of these tragedies and trials and circumstances and pains and discomforts into our life, and God says, that's okay, I'm just going to use that to bring them into a place where I can put power on the inside of them. Here's what I know, I wonder if Hannah would have prayed that much if she was popping out babies. I I wonder if Jabez would have prayed, God, that you would bless me and bless me indeed and that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be on me, that I might not cause pain if 
His life was already blessed. I wonder if blind Bartimaeus would have cried out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my soul, if he was able to see. I wonder if the woman with the alabaster box, Mary, the sister of Martha, the brother of Lazarus, would have broken her alabaster box of ointment and poured it on Jesus had she not been delivered from a life of pain. I wonder if Samson would have ever called back on God had his eyes not been gouged out. I wonder if the woman with the issue of blood would have pressed in the crowd behind Jesus had she been healed of the first position that she went to. I wonder if the woman caught in adultery would have listened to the words of Jesus when he said go and sin no more had she not been embarrassed by the shame of the circumstance. I wonder if Jairus would have ran to Jesus if his daughter didn't lie at the point of death. I wonder if Peter and John would have ever followed Jesus if they actually caught fish that night instead of came up with empty nets. I wonder if Jonah would have ever went back and preached to Nineveh had the whale not swallowed him. I wonder if the prodigal would have went back to father's house had he not envisioned or had a pig pen in his life. Now those things weren't all caused by God. But how many of you know God certainly used them to pull those people back to God. I know that before the whale, Jonah was running in the opposite direction. I know that when Peter and John got that empty net, they they were skeptical about listening to Jesus. I know that before Jairus' daughter was sick, he wasn't running to Jesus. I know that the prodigal was wasting his inheritance when before he had a pig pen experience. I know that the woman caught in adultery was just continuing to do the wrong thing over and over before she experienced the shame. I know that Samson was playing the role of a playboy before they gouged his eyes out. I know that when all the things were going good in their life, they went awry. David said, it was good for me that I've been afflicted. Sometimes God will use the adverse circumstances that come into our life for all sorts of reasons to pull us back to a place. I just had a friend who was going through something difficult. And I've been trying to witness to this friend for a long period of time. And they were going through something difficult and they they needed a miracle. And I said, let's pray that God does this miracle in your life. And we prayed and God did the miracle. And then the Lord said to me, now lead him to Christ. And his heart was so open. God used that painful situation. God used that thing that the enemy brought into his life to bring him into that place of transformation in his life. And God will do the same thing with us. He'll use those circumstances to push us to that place. I don't know about you, but when I'm going through, I pray more. Don't you? When I'm going through, I press into God more. Don't you? And God will do the same for us. The second thing I want to see about the push to pray is the push to pray enables us to become the person that God has designed us to be. What did Hannah want more than anything else? A baby. Why did she want a baby? She wanted a baby for her own purposes. She wanted a baby to take her shame away. She wanted a baby uh, so Elkanah would would, uh, have that special connection with her that he had with Penny. She wanted a baby so Penny would stop provoking her. She wanted a baby so she could get her dignity back and her femininity back and her self-esteem back and all of that. But all of that should have taken a back seat to why we should really want anything in life. Why do you want the promotion? Why do you want the pay increase? 
Why do you want to hit the $2 billion Powerball and get upset when it wasn't you who didn't win it? Why is it that you want a big social media following? Why is it that you want God to bless your business? Why is it that you want God to heal your body? Why should we want anything in life? And the primary reason is so that we can please the Lord, so that we can be his instrument, so that we can be his servant, so that God can use us. Is not this the number one pursuit that we ought to have in prayer? Matter of fact, it's what Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we look at that and we limit that simply to mean that you can tell the will of the Father on the earth by what's happening in heaven and that is true. But there is a deeper meaning to that and it's that when we pray, our prayer should be focused on God, we want this so that your will can be done in our lives and through our lives. And here is Penny and she is provoking Hannah and that pain pushes her to go to God in prayer. God is redeeming something that is negative in her life for his glory. He's pushing her to prayer. And in prayer, suddenly something begins to happen to Hannah. Notice this, verse number 10. And she was in barrenness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow. A Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of my life and no razor of his life and no razor will come upon his head. This is Hannah praying. This is no eating, no drinking, no sleeping, no smiling, no fun to be around. Miserable because she couldn't have a kid. Hannah who wanted a kid so bad that she would do anything for it. All of a sudden she prays from God. I want this kid more than anything to God if you give me this kid I'll give this kid back to you to which God says now we're getting somewhere now now we've got motive in the right place what did James say in James chapter 4 he said you have not because you ask not but then he said you have not because you ask amiss that you would consume what God gives you on simply your own desires. In other words, the motive gets changed. The motive gets altered. The motive gets fixed in that place of prayer. Remember what God was up to. God was up to a master plan. God was up to a big picture purpose. God wanted to call his people back to him. And he needed somebody to lend him her womb. And he goes to Hannah and he picks Hannah. And Hannah's got to get to that place where she says, God, what you are going to give me is not just for me, but what you're going to give me is so that your glory and your will can be done in and through my life. And Hannah is being formed. She's being changed. She's being molded. She's being conformed in that place of prayer. So often when we go to prayer, our focus is God changed the circumstance. God changed the situation. Oh, okay, fine. Sometimes it's God changed them. Have you ever prayed a God changed them type of prayer? You know, you have an issue with somebody and, and all of a sudden you assume that it's them and so you go to God, God changed them. But I'll tell you what Hannah does. Hannah gets to that place 
where she prays, God changed me. It's like this story I heard about this man. He was in the backwoods of Tennessee, found himself in a large city one day. And for the first time, he's standing in front of an elevator. And he watches as this old, haggard woman hobbles into the elevator. The doors close. A few minutes later, the doors open, and a young, attractive woman marches smartly off. And the father hollers at one of his sons, Billy, go get your mother! Some of y'all went right over your head right there. We want other people to change, don't we? That's our prayer oftentimes. But prayer is where God changes us. It's the process where we forget that God is not necessarily looking in your prayer time to change everybody else, but in your prayer time, he's looking to change you. Prayer is where God kills certain things in our lives, rips out other things in our life, puts in important things in our life, reduces mixed up things in our lives, fixes broken things in our life. It's where he destroys sin. It's where he renews our mind. It's where he gives us wisdom. It's where he cleanses our motives. Is where he gives us instruction. Prayer is where our will gets surrendered to God's will and we get changed for the better. And Hannah prays that kind of prayer. She goes from God, I want this baby for me, to God, I'll give you this baby if you open my womb. Lord, change me. What I think is amazing she eventually got to the place where she wasn't focused on Lord change Penny. Because how many of you know if you were living with Penny, you'd be like, Lord change Penny, Lord change Penny. She prays what I consider a dangerous prayer. Lord change me. Very similar to how David played and prayed in Psalm uh, 139. Here's what he said. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. What a prayer. God put the spotlight of your glory on me. God expose what's what's in the deep recesses of my heart. God deal with my inner motives and secret vices. God pull back the veil and expose the barren places of my life. When's the last time you ever got before God and you said, God put the spotlight on me and change me into everything that you've designed me to be? Very rarely do we pray that kind of prayer. And if you go into the psalm and you read the whole prayer, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but if you look at the progression, David is praying about God's omniscience at first. He's talking about God, you know everything about me. You know my rising up. You know my laying down. You know every word that I speak before the thought is formed in my mind. Then he moves on from God's omniscience to God's omnipresence. God, you're everywhere. There is nowhere that I can go to escape your presence. I can't hide from you, God. Even if I make my bed in hell, even there I find you, God. He goes from God's omniscience to God's omnipresence. He then begins to pray about God's omnipotence. God, you're all powerful. He begins to pray. And he begins to say things in modern language like this. God, man has all of these sophisticated things. Man has computers and man has AI and man has smartphones. But God, you created the innermost parts of me. God, you wove me together in my mother's womb. God, you created the brain and the heart. And no man can create things that complicated. God, you are all powerful. And then God, and he prays this. He says, God, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. And it's kind of like, think about the progression. God, you know everything. God, you're everywhere. 
God, you're all powerful. And God, by the way, slay the wicked. It's kind of like, huh? What are you talking about? This is before he prays. Search me, O God. Change me, O God. What's going on? David is focused on the goodness of God, the the magnitude of God, the splendor of God. And he kind of gets defensive of God in the middle of the prayer. He's like, and all these people who don't know who you are, God, go get them all. Kill them all. By the way, we pray like that sometimes too. Got all these people that are doing evil. All those woke people, God, kill them all. Uh Uh-oh, I just came to where you live right now. I just came into your prayer closet right now. And God goes, uh, this isn't about them, is it? Your prayer time is not about me changing them. Your prayer time is about me changing you. And David catches himself in the middle of him thinking his prayer time was about how God should do everything to these other people. And he begins to focus on him. And he prays that special prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you, God. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I could, I could imagine how Hannah's prayer time went. Can you? She goes to the temple without Cana and Penny. Long car ride to the temple. Or should I say camel ride? And I can see Penny probably on the, you know, riding first hump on the camel, you know, shotgun on the camel. And, and, and there's Hannah, you know, just kind of, and she's provoking her the whole time they get there. And she finally gets off the camel and she goes into the temple and she goes over into the corner all by herself and she's praying and everybody thinks she's crazy. And I'm thinking, if I was her, I'd be praying, God, get her. God, look at what she's done to my life. God, she's ruined my life. She's taken my man. She stole my family. She rubs it in my face that I'm barren. God, look at this wickedness and this evil. God, get her. And all of a sudden, God speaks. Is this, this ain't about her, is it? This is about you. Hey, guess what? She's not the one that I've chosen to bring Samuel into the world. You are. And in order for me to do powerful things in your life, you need to get to that place in prayer where you ask me to do my work in you, to remove those things in you, and to place in you a desire and a passion that wants to please me more than anything else. All of a sudden, in prayer, Hannah gets formed. In prayer, Hannah gets open to God's purposes. Thank God for those pushes in the prayer. God loves us too much to allow us not to go into the transformation closet, into the place where we get on the potter's wheel and God as the potter and we as the clay begin to get formed and made. And there's too much of us that are in our original condition when we got saved simply because we are not allowing or heeding the call of God to go into that place of prayer. And so God said, let me just push you a little bit so that I can do what I want in your life. The third thing I want to show you about the push to pray is that it puts the problem on God and it produces peace. Notice this. Here's what's happening. Hannah's life is a mess. She can't breathe. She's miserable all the time. She's not sleeping. She's not eating. She's bitter. She's angry. She's not fun to be around. 
She takes a long camel ride to the temple with Penny riding on the shotgun of the hump of the camel. By the time she gets to church, she's frustrated. Her pain is magnified. God takes that pain. He pushes her into a place of prayer. God uses that pain to cause her to cry out to him. Hannah does, and at first she prays a messy, God change them type of prayer. God get him. God pay her back. God kill him. But God give me a baby so I could rub this in her face and finally have this stigma released from my life. And all of a sudden she changes that. She transforms that from God don't change her to God change me. And in that transformation, Hannah becomes surrendered to the will of God. Not my will, but thine be done. Yes, I want a baby, but Lord, if you give me a baby, I'll give that baby back to you because being your instrument and surrendering my life into your hands and for your use is what I really want more than anything else. And watch what happens when she gets done praying that kind of prayer. Verse number 18 says, and she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and she ate. She was on a hunger strike, by the way. And she ate, and watch this, and her face was no longer sad. Her burden was removed. She was no longer depressed. She was no longer tied up in knots on the inside. She was no longer miserable to be around. She was no longer on a hunger strike. She was no longer overwhelmed. She was no longer with a cloudy mind. She was no longer confused. She was no longer being controlled by bitterness and unforgiveness. Now she was at rest. Why? Because in prayer, she rolled the burden on God. That's what happens in prayer. Prayer is where You empty yourself of the tiring struggle to deal with and to carry your burden all through life. First Peter says it this way. It says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. And a lot of us, what do we do? We wonder, well, God, when are you going to take this burden? God, okay, I really want to get this off of me and onto you. How do you do that? Prayer is the exchange. Prayer is where we roll the burden on God and when God puts his blessing and his hand on us. Prayer is, prayer is where we give God the things that we are not capable of carrying. Matter of fact, the word burden literally means boulder. And so many times in life, we are carrying around these boulders. And when we are carrying around these boulders, what is happening is they are pressing on us. They are weighing on us. They are anxiety. They are worry. They are causing sleeplessness. They are causing us to go on hunger strikes. Or if you're like me, to eat everything in sight. Prayer reduces all of that. Prayer takes the burden and puts it on God. Listen to the the Amplified. It says, casting all your care. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares about you with the deepest of affection and watches over you very, very carefully. See, so much, so many times in life, we are carrying unnecessary burdens because we won't pray. But when we get into that prayer closet and we begin to pray, like Hannah prayed, God, search me. Like David prayed, God, Change me. God, put a spotlight on anything of me that's not of you. God, not my will in this situation be done. How many of you know prayer is the battle of the wills? 
Matter of fact, when Jesus went to Gethsemane, he showed us what prayer was. It was the battle of the wills, the flesh versus the spirit. What we want in our flesh, the easy way and the way that seems best to us, to us surrendering to God and taking it and doing it God's way. Prayer is the great battle of the spirits. And Hannah gets to that place where she says, okay, God, not my will, but God, I'm giving you my womb for your will in my life. I'm done carrying this. I'm done sur- I'm surrendering this. I'm placing the problem in your hands. I'm trusting you with the outcome. I'm sleeping tonight. I'm eating tonight. I'm no longer meditating on the problem, but I'm living in the promise. I'm giving this to you, God. Not my will, but your will be done. God, I can't handle this, but God, you can. God, this isn't my problem. It's your problem. God, this isn't my struggle. It's your struggle. God, this isn't my burden. It's your burden. And what happens? Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, I'm no longer anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I'm letting my requests be made known to you. And I thank you, Lord, that the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. There is this great exchange in prayer. God, here is the burden. And God, thank you for the blessing of peace. I thank God so much for those times he pushes me into prayer. For those times where he reminds me of everything that I'm dealing with simply because my life is at best prayer deficit and at worst prayer non-existent. Will you pray? There's grass on your path. It's time to knock down the weeds and get into your prayer closet. Would you stand to your feet with me?